You can have a lot of short stories or one really great long story. To us, that's great. Both options are great. They mean they we're a place that you want to publish on yep. and we're a place where people read your stories. We're by the same tags, our community, as I've talked to them on the community forum, community.hackernoon.com. You still have to balance like the aesthetic with the actual usefulness of the... So like if something is entirely monospace and small font, then you're hurting the accessibility and you're hurting the usability of the product. So you, you got to balance that out. And sometimes just building something that is accessible and usable, it makes it more visually pleasing. We want to keep going down this route of like, how do you better curation? On the reader side, we want to optimize for time spent reading, and on the writer side, we want to optimize for work. If we build these things and we explore, we can come up with uh, ideas that have legs on their own. We can potentially discover something that's greater than the sum of its parts. How, how do we build a product that encourages people to spend more time reading and consuming words? We went with more of a route of catering to our users, building original software, and in my opinion, raising the upside of our company significantly. But this challenge creates a lot more work. Hey all, Derek Bernard here, producer of the Hacker Noon podcast. Today we bring you a special episode from London, England. Hacker Noon CEO David Smook has a conversation with Hacker Noon's CPO Dane Lyons and full stack developer Austin Pocus. They discuss the current state of progress of Hacker Noon 2.0, the tribulations of the process, and what they'd like to see in the final product. It's a great episode for those eagerly anticipating the next iteration of Hacker Noon. Stick around. This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically they give us a machine and we run a dockerized instance of discourse on there. Gets a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. With DigitalOcean, they have a marketplace where you just click, I want discourse. You provision a droplet and you're good to go. Welcome to this special edition of the Hacker Noon podcast. I am David Smook, and today I'm joined by three quarters of the company. Dane Lyons, the chief product officer, and Austin Pocus, the full stack developer. And today we're going to talk about our new publishing platform. We've spent the last two weeks in London as part of our remote setup where two weeks every quarter we work out of the same location and figure out how much we hate each other with our close quarters. <laughs> but today we're just going to talk a bit about the tech stack, what's coming next, what we built, why we did it, where we struggled. So what do you guys think of London? It's pretty great. I love the food. I love the greenery. There's so many trees here, first of all, compared to, say, Detroit, uh, where <laughs> I'm from. It's such a stark difference. Yeah, the, the pubs here are amazing. Like, I'm very pleasantly surprised with the, with the quality of potato dishes here. That was kind of unexpected. The beer is good. I am a little bit disappointed with the wine and the chocolate, but you can't have everything. Yeah, and they have potato jackets. I know. Is I, the term here. I've got to try a jacket potato. Yeah, mine was just like a bunch of baked beans and cheese atop like diced potatoes. 
I don't know why they call it a jacket. I like the English breakfast. The traditional English breakfast is pretty great. Like a little bit of baked beans with your breakfast. It's got like a really nice combination of flavors. I had some bangers and mash. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we did do work. We had an event here, <laughs> Crazy Tech Stories, where we had six or seven Hacker Noon contributors tell their stories in person. We hope to do more of those. But I think maybe the best place to start is, Dane, if you could give us a little bit of an overview of the product and the tech stack we have. Yeah. So ultimately, we decided to build a headless CMS. And essentially what that is, is we don't power our content pages through a traditional server. We're powering them through a CDN. So like they're just static HTML pages, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So on the content pages, we use Vue. And inside the application itself, it is powered by React and it's a Node app. We use the Google Cloud Platform pretty heavily and Firebase specifically. We also use the Google CDN and a few other tools, but I mean, that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah. Uh, What do you have to add to that, Austin? I wasn't here in time for the decision to use Firebase, and I'd like to hear more about how we arrived at that decision. Yeah, so I think a big thing for me is we could kind of defer DevOps. By going with Firebase, we really didn't have to devote a lot of people to figuring out how to spin up servers and and maintain servers. We can just not worry about that and focus much more on the product. Yeah, and for me, they also offered us 100 grand hosting credits. I mean, as our revenue stream is being threatened, we're moving to our own thing, and it's going to cost, you know, we estimated it, even with the CDN solution, we were looking at four to 8K a month. You know, when you're at 8 million page views a month, you do have to consider the trade-off between ideal and cost. I mean, everybody does on their site but in their, or their app, but I definitely like that the hosting providers are very competitive and they want to bring in companies they think will grow and that's good for the first year. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah 100K always helps. It does. <laughs> So these two weeks, what did we accomplish? It's kind of hard to say because over the two weeks, we've had a very forward-looking philosophy. So every day we get together and we talk about the current state of the product and the very immediate things that we need to do to make it better. And that's not quite a typical stand-up meeting. Uh, like a typical stand-up meeting will be pretty much divided between what did you do yesterday and what will you do today? So Yeah, it's like the blank slate stand-up. Yeah. It's like, like what could you actually do in the next 12 hours to make this thing as improved? as possible. Yeah. And for me, that's really important because a traditional standups are kind of, it's kind of like a culture of accountability. The backward looking mentality is making everybody be very accountable for how much work they got done. And that disincentivizes you to be very ambitious in what you'll try to accomplish in the future. Like an engineer would, instead of saying, you know, I'm going to go try to accomplish these five or 10 things, they're going to say, I'm just going to focus on this one thing because if I don't get it done, I'm going to be held accountable for it. So you have a much more of a conservative mindset. And for me, I would much rather everybody try to accomplish five or ten things in a day and if you don't get it done you don't get it done you shouldn't be punished for being ambitious yeah i feel like we have a much more of a culture of trust where we're trusted to do what's best for the product and we know that david's doing what's best for the product he knows that we're doing that there's much less of a culture of covering your ass Right. I think in order to enable that, like you need to have regular discussions about what's actually important in the product so people can make good decisions on behalf of the product. And how the product fits into the business. Yeah. Because it is most of the business, but, you know, at the core of our business is the stories themselves. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. without great stories coming in and without great stories, you know, being distributed, it doesn't matter if it's a great communication between writer and editor, which is, you know, what we're working towards. Yeah. A great communication between writer and editor. This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. 
Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a Discourse site. So basically, they give us a machine and we run a Dockerized instance of Discourse on there. Gets a few clicks and Discourse is ready to rock. With DigitalOcean, they have a marketplace where you just click, I want Discourse. You provision a droplet and you're good to go. Yeah, so going back and thinking about everything we've accomplished in this two-week sprint, I, I feel like we actually accomplished a, a hell of a lot. It was an incredibly productive chunk of work. I mean, we still haven't pushed the button and launched our product to make it live, but we're in a much better state today than we were two weeks ago. And we could hit that button, Yeah, which is yeah. cool. You know, we can yeah. hit it when we want. We have beta users working on it, operating in it, so it's like, that feels good. Mm-hmm. And it also feels like last Monday was like, part of me is like, that just happened, but also part of me is like, I've been in London for a year. Like, <laughs> I've gotten a little used to it in these two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So let's jump into, geez, we build a lot with two developers. Mm-hmm. Two and a half, you know, we also have Faith part-time, a lot of front-end and design work. And we've had plenty of help from the community and other people. Mm-hmm. But how do you guys look at it in terms of the amount of work we had to do with only two developers seems like a bit much. I feel like I had to do whatever needed to be done. So I was willing to do whatever needed doing. I I wasn't fitting myself into, oh, I'm only working on the back end or I'm only working in React or anything like that. If we need to do a bit of DevOps work, spin up an Nginx server and reverse proxy our traffic, I'll do that. If we need to do database backups, I'll handle that, whatever needs doing. Yeah, and I think one thing that's also helped us is that, like we have a very function-first mindset. So we are not afraid to build something that looks ugly that accomplishes the goal. And we're going to make our product look more beautiful and be a much better experience long-term, but... Let's hold up there. If we're going to stay on brand, we got to make this thing ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're going to make the most beautiful product we can with the most ugly color we have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe we should just make the design uglier too, though. Yeah. Should we really steer into it? It's all about the content. It's all about the function. Yeah. Maybe that's the way it ends up. Like, we have a lot of iteration ahead of us, and maybe we find that making nice little rounded corners and nice shading and everything, maybe maybe that's not the way we go. Like, maybe we double down on on this brutalist aesthetic. It's terminal-first philosophy. Yeah, terminal-first. That's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I was thinking it might be neat if we had a reading interface where it was all monospace text, like it looks like it was typed out on a typewriter. That'd be cool. Yeah, you still have to balance like the aesthetic with the actual usefulness of the... So like if something is entirely monospace and small font, then you're hurting the accessibility and you're hurting the usability of the product. So you got to balance that out. And sometimes just building something that is accessible and usable, it makes it more visually pleasing because things are better lined up. And even if you're brutalist in your aesthetic, like it still, it still feels like there's some order to it. Yeah, it still has to feel functional from a user's point of view. Right. And for our primary users, the contributing writer, and we We've heavily invested in our own editor. Could you guys talk a little bit about what we did? 
Yeah. So I've previously built editors in browsers before. I had a startup that we built an editor that allowed you to author emails. So then I had some experience using Draft.js and our tech stack kind of uses React. So Draft.js is kind of a natural way to build a, a simple editor. It's uh, very popular. Yeah, it's, it's very popular, but it's also kind of a pain to use. So we ended up using uh, Slate. It's very generic in the sense that you have a lot of flexibility in what you do with it, but it's a very powerful editor. The foundation that they give you, if you were to go build that from scratch, it would be six months plus of work just to get a good foundation down. So it's great that we have a nice foundation that we can build onto from there. Absolutely. It's one of the most flexible libraries I've ever seen. It's very powerful in what it can do. Like it gives you commands to move the cursor around, highlight text or whatever you need to do. It's it's much easier than working with draft from what I've seen. Yeah, I will say that the documentation has been a little bit frustrating, but they kind of make up for that by having a very receptive Slack channel that uh, you can just dive in and ask questions. So I think that's a good way to go. You know, they can start incorporating the questions into the documentation and it's just a a good all around product. I like it. Yeah, I actually kind of like the documentation. Well, I mean, everybody finds it difficult to do documentation, but the level of abstraction in the documentation is just like you have to take a deep dive into some of the bits of code to really understand how to extend it, which I think they could do a little bit better on that side of things. Yeah, it's definitely a deep dive. But what's that expression? There is no dispute in matters of taste. Yeah. I mean, my my point of view is like an editor, the key to an editor is a good blank page, Mm -hmm. which means like I am from the perspective of I probably undermine all of the work that it takes to make a great editor. Mm-hmm. And then as I switch from making wireframes to being a quality assurance and testing this thing out, I realize how many fucking use cases there are across everything in an editor. It is crazy yeah. to supply for all of these things. And like, we've gone through a lot, but it's infinite. Mm-hmm. There's infinite amount of cases to just properly display the text people want. Yeah. Copy, paste, type, change. It does, it's, it's just so many different cases. But yeah. we've also invested in other areas of the product that are really important. Can you talk about our other most important pages and what's behind them? Yeah, so one of the biggest motivations in building it, like I guess what, what people are calling these days like a headless uh, CMS, you power a lot of your pages through a CDN. It's just a static HTML, CSS, and JavaScript as opposed to powering it from a server. And it would actually be far easier for us to not build our infrastructure that way, but the cost savings will be pretty substantial going that route. To me, that like that's one of the biggest problems that we've kind of solved to this point, but a lot of the work that we've been doing is kind of foundational work. So I really see the interest problems that we're solving are ahead of us and not behind us. Yeah, I've worked on the foundation a lot. It was here early on when we were building up this headless CMS, and I think Firebase lends itself really well to building one Mm -hmm. because it has these Firestore hooks, they call them. So essentially, if you're not familiar with Firebase, it's a way to hook into document creation in the database or document updates, document deletion. They're actually called triggers, but... Are they triggers? (laughs) Yeah, they're triggers, but that's okay. (laughs) Let's jump into some pain points. It's a totally viable solution to go WordPress or somebody else and like so much functionality already built there, so much open source software or software that you have other people that you can pay to help you with. You know, so there were really a lot of choices of like, if the challenge is just how to display this library in a new environment, there were much smarter, simpler choices we could have made. So we went with more of a route of catering to our users, building original software, and in my opinion, and raising the upside of our company significantly. But this challenge creates a lot more work. 
To me, the reason not to go with these other solutions, it's all about flexibility because while we could have built this thing in WordPress or Ghost or Gatsby or one of those tools, which are fine tools for a common publishing use case, they're not necessarily a good use case for us because we have this environment where we've got a lot of editors and a lot of writers. The typical blog out there might have a team of, say, four or five people working on collaborating on the blog, but we have thousands of people behind the scenes. So we need to have a, like a much more media system System to allow our writers and our editors to collaborate and effectively work together on producing content. Yeah, I think that's a common problem when using open source software is you run into these issues where it doesn't work well for your case yeah. and you either have to fork it or you have to put in a PR and hope they accept it. You always run into these sorts of issues. I'm all for open source software. I think it's, yeah. it's fantastic. And we use plenty of open source software in our tool. It's just that we haven't gone the route of using like an all-in-one solution like WordPress. Right. That's more of what I meant is the all-in-one solutions. Yeah. Not so much React or Vue or anything like that. Right. Yeah, there's a good announcement about open source yesterday. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. GitHub is allowing people to directly donate and matching donations. Pretty smart. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it looks like GitHub is trying to eat the open source software world. They're just <laughs> they're taking over. They're, they were already a big name, and now they're... Did you they're say really Microsoft? <laughs> Also, some of the bigger problems, I mean, the editor is like an ongoing thing, mm -hmm. but we've also, you know, now that we want contributors to take over their content more, you know, there's been a lot of work in the back and forth between editor and writer, mm -hmm. you know, whether to put posts in the queue or publish posts right away, you know, what level of communication uh, they have. Could you guys talk a little bit about the activity feed we have between writers and editors? Oh, yeah. So what I originally built was a way to see whether a draft had been opened by an editor, whether it had been edited, and whether it was published or rejected. So those were the key moments that I wanted to capture. And I put them all in an activity feed and just displayed all of them sorted by date. It was a really simple solution, but it's been really effective for us. It's It actually was, at one point, the only way to see a published draft in our system before it hit the queue because it was in sort of a limbo state. We had this publishing queue where it would publish every 10 minutes. I just removed that today. Yeah, one of the problems that this solves, as a writer previously in the old system, you would submit a draft to be published and you'd wait. And maybe three to four days later, if we have a backlog, like there's no transparency to see what that backlog yeah, is all about. The only time, basically the only cases we would hear about are the extremes. Yeah. Either, oh my gosh, I submitted and it was published within two hours because an editor saw it and jumped right on it. Or, yeah. screw you guys. <laughs> What's going on? It's been a week. Yeah, <laughs> Where right. are you? Are you off vacationing on Mallorca? Yeah. Right. You know, so it's like now most of the usage is not the extremes. Yeah, it's right. They want to just see when it's open. They want to see when it'll be published. It's simple activity, but it's like if it's not baked into the software or it's baked in for not these users, which right now it's not. The system we're using isn't about editors and writers collaborating. And mm -hmm. even with simple notifications and simple updates, you know, we can really make a real step forward in how we better the day-to-day -day of our users. Even with a, like a fantastic system with fantastic editors that can process like an incredible number of stories per day, that lack of transparency causes a lot of anxiety for authors. Yeah, it really does. 
Absolutely. That's been a really exciting thing to our community as I've talked to them on the community forum, community.hackernoon.com. We've talked about some of the things we're building and one of the most exciting things that people really love is the activity feed and just being able to know when they're published or when they're rejected. And then the next step in the flow is once you're published, it's about how is that story distributed and consumed. So, Mm -hmm. you know, here we're going to keep what's working in terms of page views and time reading, but, you know, look at going further down the line of like, when do 100 people tweet your story or who actually tweeted your story, you know, and and that type of stuff also gets exciting of like, what is the ranking of your story in Google? You know, there's areas in the stats that we have to go further and pick good partners and, you know, make good choices. But I am also excited about both sides of it. There's a whole level of communication that I think, I don't want to say missing from other sites, but it's something that we can do better than we're doing today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we started out with a very simple solution for communication between writers and editors. So we have an email option and we have a direct message on the community form. Going forward, we're looking into highlighting text and adding notes. We're looking at live editing between author and editor so you can see the changes that are happening as they're happening. Yeah, that's a little ambitious. We've thought about it. It's it's on the table. It's it's to be determined if we actually go that route or not. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, a few exciting things, I think. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're thinking about when you think about the amount of development hours that went into like Google Docs and Dropbox Paper to yeah. like get to that point, it's like pretty wild. And that's the only point, you know, they're not worried about like how widely distributed your story is or was it tweeted three times tagging the author, which ours are, mm-hmm. you know, which Dropbox Paper is not going to be doing. <laughs> that would right. be a silly solution. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a really cool thing that Dane built to auto tweet the, the stories as yeah. they're published. Yeah. Tags. So it hits uh, the moment they published with hashtagging the first two tags, and then it hits a week later and a month later. So it's a nice standard distribution. And we want to keep going down this route of like, how do you better curation? So the order of the tags you actually pick is really important. So the first two tags you pick for your Hacker Noon stories are going to be hashtags when it's tweeted by Hacker Noon. And then your first tag is now going to be displayed under the story when it's curated on any page on the site. So if you write a story where Ethereum is your most important tag, blockchain and cryptocurrency, when it appears on those tag pages, Ethereum will appear below the story. So, you know, continuing these systems where the order that you actually tag things will determine how we distribute it. I think we've started down this path and I'm really excited to go further. In that same vein, we're also expanding the length of tags that you can add. So we're going from, I think, 25 characters and we're going to have 30 characters Yep. Instead, and we're also going to have eight tags instead of five. Yep. Uh, that's going to make a big difference. Yeah. And, and we're also still building out our analytics, but the feature tag, which I'm kind of tentatively calling it, but we can, we can call it anything. The, so your first tag will probably influence pretty heavily on the analytics that you see per tag. So one gap right now in your analytics for your stories, like you can't really see how you're doing. You can look at individual analytics per story, but you can't look at it at a tag level. We'll be able to aggregate all of your tags and we'll be able to show you how you're doing by tag in addition to story. And I'm excited that going site-wide. 
and really saying, hey, where does blockchain rank among most time reading? Right. You know, where does the Bitcoin tag? Where does the software development tag? And how does that move over time? And whenever a big announcement happens or as the industry shifting, can we then say, you know, reading time by tag is something we can comment on? And we yeah. can tell you how readers as a group are changing and what they want to read about technology. I think that's really cool. But I think we should talk a little bit about the North Star and, you know, where we're headed. So maybe, Dane, could you speak about our, our big three metrics and then how we're thinking about, like, what are the stats that influence the choices we're going to make? Well, for me, like, the, I mean, the, the biggest metric is the, the time reading. That's like the, the biggest metric that I think about on a, a daily basis. Like, how do we how, how do we build a product that encourages people to spend more time reading and consuming words? So, say if a user's on the homepage or they're spending a lot of time like browsing, but they're not actually on a story, that's not necessarily going to be pushing our our north star metric forward. Like, we really want to get people on stories and, and reading content. A lot of people get so obsessed with page views or clicks or something like that, but we really want to optimize for reading time. Yeah, and in that vein, we've had the additional stories by the author. Mm -hmm. We have the user profile, which is going to play a big part in author distribution. We're going to have a CTA, a custom CTA on the profile. That's kind of cool. But yeah, we're trying our best to show you more stories that you're interested in, whether it's by the same author, by the same tags. A few simple changes we're doing to what we have now. You know, the end of the story is stories by the author. What recommended stories do you have now? A lot of it is for the network or for the platform or for the site. You know, so now it's like getting someone to read a second story by the author incentivizing that and saying, hey, that's still another re time reading on our site. It's still good for us with our sponsorship at the top. We make money every time that happens, but it's very good for the author to go from one stories read to two stories read. Right. And then if you really like the author and you go to their profile, instead of saying, you know, join the network or follow them on the network, the biggest button on the page is they choose where that link goes and they choose what that text is. Yep. So if you want someone to contribute to your open source project or you want someone to demo your SaaS software, you write your own button and when they get to your page we hope that will be one of their better pages on the internet as a source of traffic to the thing they care about most on the internet which isn't on our site it's somewhere else on the internet it's on their own right. sites on their own company and then on the writer side of the equation we're really optimizing for words published to me that those are the two most important metrics on the reader side we want to optimize for time spent reading and on the writer side we want to optimize for words published yeah and that by making it a blanket stat like that it's not about long stories or short stories you right. can have a lot of short stories or one really great long story to us that's great both options are great they mean they we're a place that you want to publish on yep. and we're a place where people read your stories yep. and that's what we want to exist and then our third most important metric is revenue it's not investment it's not users created accounts created those things all matter i'm not trying to dismiss them but in terms of top three those are the things that are going to drive the success of this country <laughs> freudian slip <laughs> So we have words published, time reading, money made. That's what we're going for. Yeah. And then on the words published, I mean, obviously there's going to be a quality component to that that we still need to figure out because publishing poor quality words, it's not something that we're trying to optimize for, but that's still something that we're exploring. We're, we're going to have to Yeah, and out. we've upped our part-time editorial staff. We have four or five editors out there going through based on their subject matter expertise, which is the direction we want to go. So, I mean, tools can plug in and looking at how do tools spell check and help your word quality and your word choice and that stuff is mm -hmm. all going to matter. And we are at the end of the day, a tech site mm -hmm. and you 
using tech to solve those problems is better in a lot of ways. But the quality control starts with, it has been and it will be, this is the second human rule. There's always another human that reviews your story. Hopefully that human can spend more time and the incentives are created that they have enough time to judge the story and improve the story. But as opposed to a completely anyone can publish site, that's not us. You know, it's right. something where like, hey, to publish on Hacker Noon, an editor will review your story. Yeah, and eventually we've talked about having community editors where if you've spent so much time on the site and you maybe published a couple of stories, if you've built up trust in the community, you should be able to edit stories. It's definitely something we want to uh, work, work towards. towards. Yeah. yeah, we're not there yet. Again, uh -huh. ambitious. <laughs> How do you think we'll iterate going forward? And I mean, we talked a bit about the numbers that's going to drive our decision making, but also on a software level, you know, we're getting all these suggestions. There's all these directions we could go. And this business, the time of the three people in this room and Ling is our greatest asset, you know? So how do you guys look at it in terms of choosing to spend your time and choosing to not spend your time? It's always tough to find that balance. It's kind of like an explore versus exploit thing where you could spend all day. I see so many companies spend so much time just building new features and they kind of feel like it's almost like people think that if I just have these 10 features then I'm going to hit that tipping point and I'm going to have the best product in this market and I'm going to start making amazing money and I think that you've got to really invest a lot of time in not only just building new things but fixing the things that you have. I would say improving. Yeah, improving. You know, improving there'll be small fixing, breaks yeah. but yeah. there's also things like a page is never perfect. Right. You can right. just keep putting money and time into a page. Like the editor is a whole business. That's a whole company that can do great and sell their editor to everybody else and if our editor's great and we fail in all these other things that's still another viable business within the business <laughs> not not what's going to happen but right. you know that's the point is the level of detail and iteration you can do on a single page is endless Right. And that kind of comes back to the function first design concept. Like you really need to have a rapid prototyping mindset where you have to be comfortable putting out stuff that is a little bit raw. Because if you have this like polishing mindset. Our contributing writers certainly are. Yeah. It's all about exploration. Like you want to put something out there and see if it has wheels. And then if it's got wheels, then you invest more time making it better. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up exploration because I haven't really seen that at any other company unless it's directly tied to some feature that we're eventually going to implement or something like that. There's not much pure exploration at other companies that I've seen. We haven't talked about it today, but like I would really eventually like to get us to have a this concept called dual track agile where we've got a discovery track and a delivery track. And we need to be investing a lot of time in figuring out what we need to be building and trying to find unique ways to improve the thing that we have. And I just think that that's so important to building a good product. Yeah, I'm really excited about the dual track agile system. It's so much more, it's so refreshing to see that and to have the freedom to say, okay, I'm going to see if I can add highlights to the editor today. And right. that might be something that we pursue. It might not. I mean, we're not going to come up with new ideas if I do a waterfall right. and I'm just like, hey, here's the list. Go at it, guys. It will come up with the ideas I said because, you know, right. I'm not paying for anything else. So that's like, it's a pretty brutal business model. I, or development structure mm -hmm. and I get why a lot of people do it because you want to get a product out you want to hit these minimums and a lot of software projects the leader of the project is actually reporting to someone else who wants to match his specs that he promised to the customer or whatever right. the setup may be I'm happy that we've gotten to the business to the point where we don't have to operate like that I think it increases our upside dramatically absolutely oh yeah it comes back to the editor being a viable business on its own if we build these things and we explore we can come up with uh, ideas that have legs on their own, we can potentially discover something that's greater than the sum of its parts. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good about it.
Yeah, yeah, me too. It's really good to have beta users in it, and it's yeah. good to get it out there. So if you have any ideas, you know, a lot of the ideas have come from the community themselves of what they've wanted, what writers want. Visit community.hackernoon.com. There's a product thread. You can see previews of what we're building. And if you want to reserve your Hacker Noon handle, that's auth.hackernoon.com. And you can get a sweet handle. About 5,000 have been claimed. So, you know, get yours before Tom, Jerry, and who else is claimed. I'm David. I'm at David. You're at Dane. He's at Austin. We're on a first name basis now. Thanks for listening. Later. This has been a special episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on social media. You can also find us at HackerNoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com. Until the next time, thanks for tuning in.